Welcome to the Dreams and Money podcast, the ultimate guide to creating and living your best life. Join me as I talk to inspiring, trailblazing millennials who are breaking barriers and being bosses in their careers and personal lives. On this episode, I speak to political activist Aminatsule. She talks to me about how she secured a TV hosting gig simply through one conversation and the interesting story on how she became the self-appointed personal assistant to former Nigerian president Olusegun Obasanjo. We discuss women in politics and so much more, so stay tuned in. Welcome to a new episode of the Dreams and Money podcast. And as always, I have a special guest. Her name is Amina Sule, who's absolutely inspirational. She is a political enthusiast and has been serving diplomatic issues in Nigeria and London. She's also a barrister in training, which is amazing. And the self-appointed personal assistant to the former president of Nigeria, who is Olusegun Obasanjo. Welcome. Wow, I mean, what an intro. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, like, listen, this podcast, I've actually had like friends and like family who come into this podcast. So I really, really feel privileged that you've reached out to me. Um, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. I'm so happy now that I can come on and you're not charging me to come on. So I'm really, really <laughs> grateful um, that I've been able to get in now and you've, um, you've slotted me in. Thank you so much. The work you're doing is amazing. And um, the fact that you're giving people an opportunity to share their stories and inspire people in itself is phenomenal. And so it says a lot about you and your person. Um, so yeah, I'm honoured. Thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. I'm inspired by you and your work and all that you're doing. And actually, you know, I didn't tell you this before, but I actually came across, I think it was a thread that you did on Twitter um yeah. months ago um and i remember thinking like oh my god like she sounds amazing um so to fast forward now just being able to speak to you, i'm super inspired by you okay so where should we begin like the beginnings of amina you like being a young person and where you are now as a grown woman like just tell me a little bit about your journey um yeah so i'm from brixton south london born and raised in brixton grew up in brixton but my parents are first generation nigerian parents um so they was obviously born in nigeria and came to nigeria and they gave birth to me here so yeah i think that's about a bit about me and my background so growing up i was just exposed to a lot like i lived in the nicer part of brixton which i was fortunate enough to do and by the grace of God and by the grace of my parents but you know across the road was the not so nice side of Brixton and that's where a lot of my friends were from so you know growing up um in the area yes you'd be playing knockdown ginger during the day but later on in the evening you could hear that your friend that you was playing out with has been stabbed and that was your friend that you was playing out with so from a young age you kind of reality hits you really really fast like that life is really short and these things are happening to people and people's lives are being affected by what is going on. And you can either choose to express your frustration by joining them or by being the solution and trying to find ways to you know, stop those problems from consistently reoccurring. What you're saying about being so young and being exposed to so much um, and being aware that like other young people your age are passing away that like, due to knife crime and gun violence and all of these things. One is traumatizing, but two, the fact that, you know, like as a young person, you decided that you, you wanted to be somebody that was kind of making a change. 
where did that come from? Like, was that something that, that was sort of just, just within you and you felt that push? Or was it your parents that you saw that were being active or they kind of encouraged you to be this sort of person that is a change maker? Yeah, um, to be honest, I feel like growing up, my parents made me believe I could do anything that I put my mind to. I could tell them, I want to be Prime Minister of the UK. Yeah, you can do it. Like, they made me believe that I could genuinely do anything. So I think that gave me the confidence that I needed to step out. And I got involved in politics from the age of 11. I was involved in Lambeth Youth Mayor elections. You know, then I started helping councillors right there. Um, What they would do is they would have surgery. MPs would have surgery. So I'd be involved in that. And then I would sit with councillors in their meetings and kind of be that person within the young, within the community that you know I'd have friends that would tell me oh we're upset because Max Roach is shut down we're upset because this community center is shut down and we don't have enough um, community workers this youth center this is happening so they would tell me all their frustrations and then I would go to the counselors and be like these are the real problems that we're having at the moment these are the reasons why people are out in the streets these are the reasons why you know there's, there's an issue between this part of Brixton and that part of Brixton so I would kind of try to create solutions based on the information that people that were around me and that were my peers at the time were giving me I would then now be the person who was like okay so how can we we need to make sure we fund this project so this doesn't happen so yeah I think that's where it all kind of came from that's amazing and then from there being able to be active at such a young age and be involved in counseling and stuff I'm sure like it taught you so much and maybe made you grow up a little bit faster as well which then obviously led to future opportunities and you being the self-appointed PA to the president um yeah a bit more of of that story like how when like how it happened and how you managed to to bag yourself that role um I think to be honest once again like I really really have literally gone ahead and grabbed every opportunity that has gone come my way so shortly before I had met um President Obasanjo I was already producing my own television show um, called Youth and Politics where I would interview politicians from around the world within the UK. I had um, already interviewed the Speaker of the House at the time um, for Nigeria so I had already gone ahead and interviewed people of that caliber already in sitting government before I met President Obasanjo and I got that from you know literally shooting my shot again. So um, when I met President Obasanjo, it was at an event that my friend Dial had invited me to at Chatham House. And I found out that he was speaking there. And I literally positioned myself front row, right in front of him. And the entire event, I had made eye contact with him. Anytime he would make a reference to young people, I would stand up in the room and kind of wave my Afroprint blazer and be like, I'm a young person. Um, So the entire event, there was definitely like a rapport in regards to, I had familiarized myself with him. Um, So then once the event was done, I was onto the stage and I was like, listen, no pictures. Um, We need to get him into a room. He needs a 10 minute breather and then he'll come back out and take questions. And he was kind of looking at me like, who are you? who's your dad where do I know you from and I was like um listen you don't know me my dad is a civilian a normal person that you would never come across um but basically I'm going to be your new PA and he was looking at me like huh I was like yeah 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 I'm gonna be your new PA I'm going to serve you and then um the whole time within our the initial stages of our relationship he was genuinely like so what do you want is it a job like what do you want because i think when you're in that position you're used to people literally always asking for things and taking but yeah for me it was that i didn't want anything i just wanted to serve you i just wanted to learn from you and that was one thing that i think set me apart from 
a lot of other people in that room, I was kind of able to say that I want to serve him rather than take. And then that's how that relationship kind of became what it is today. That's amazing. Like the fact that you had the confidence, the balls even, should I say, to not only actually take over an event that was not yours. <laughs> I'm sure the event organizers were like, who is that girl? Um, do not try this if you are in Nigeria listening. Do not try this in Nigeria. Do not try this in Africa because you may be taken out. Like they actually may take you out if you try this. So, you know, ascertain the situation. I do not advise that everybody goes out and does this because, you know, it's just a very risky game, you know, at your own cost. Yeah, and like it really is at your own risk because thinking about this more, that's a that's a security risk to the president. I don't know how none of his security didn't like slide, tackle you to the ground and think, who is this girl trying to be close to him, touch him? Like, you know, as much as I'm sure it was like a nice, um, like a small room and it wasn't like a, an event with thousands of people. <laughs> you know, it was 100, like, um, it, it was 100 people in the room. But because of the type of event it was, the event was already secure. So anybody that was supposedly in the room had already been vetted. So there was no excess security in the room because the venue was already secure and everyone who was in the room had already been vetted. So, um, yeah, I guess that's why it made it easier for me to kind of do those maneuvers. But in another circumstance, I really would not advise anyone goes ahead and does that because it will be at your own risk. Do not say, I'm not fully inspired you. No, I did not. I ascertained the situation before I did what I did. And obviously the grace of God prevailed. So, so before you think about, you know, trying to talk to any presidents and like get them into a room, like do it at your own risk. And don't say, I mean, I told you to do so. But um, so from that moment and fast forward to now like are you still working with him and and in what capacity have you been working with with him yeah so fortunate enough um i've like worked on a few projects he's introduced me to a few things um like african union and un related since then and um, by the grace of god that relationship will continue to fester um so yeah i think it, it's been good it, it's been good with the projects that you've been like working with and like you know being so exposed to political figures and change makers what's something that you would say you've learned from them and you've then implemented in your professional life in your personal life or how has it changed your life really i think growing up i was lucky enough obviously from the age of 11 i'm exposed to members of parliament those are people who are seen as quite senior so growing up, I've kind of understood how people of senior caliber, quote unquote, maneuver and how, you know, what their behaviorisms and their mannerisms are like. So I think the one thing that I think that I have learned even more, which I really already knew before, is that everyone is a human being. And I think for people who are quite senior, they're used to everyone having titles anyways. So they have to quickly adopt that mindset of everyone is a human being. Whereas for someone who doesn't have so many titles, you can almost be wowed and flabbergasted by someone. And that sometimes, you know, prevents you from shooting your shot because you discredit yourself so much. Like, how can I speak to this person? Who am I? Why, why am I even worthy? Whereas when you're a senior person or, you know, you're a president, for example, or you're a prime minister of a country, you're always exposed to people who are on similar caliber as you or even better than you. So you quickly learn that titles do not mean anything and it's human interaction that usually festers those relationships. So I think that has kind of made me a lot wiser, a lot smarter in regards to the way I, I can talk to anyone. 
Like I can literally talk to anyone and have no fear, no nerves, simply because I genuinely just think you're a human being. Yeah, clearly that confidence and that self-assurance that comes across and how you were able to not only bag yourself that opportunity to work with the president, but you also mentioned that you were able to bag yourself the opportunity to have a, a TV show. Tell me more about how the opportunity came about for you to host your own TV show. So the owner of the television show and myself were both on a panel in the House of Commons and the panel was like about young people and development in Africa. So he had spoken so highly about how giving young people opportunities was important and all of this other jazz. I said, okay, this is what you said, yeah, good. As you're saying it, me, I'm the young person that you're going to give this opportunity to right now. I didn't hear. So literally, as soon as the panel was done, I like, we was talking and he was like, oh, what you're doing is amazing, you know, well done, you know, we need more young people like you, all of that jazz. I said, yeah, so are you going to give me a show then? Because, you know, <laughs> so now, rightfully so, it makes sense for you to give me airtime and give me a show on your platform. So, um, yeah, after like two months of negotiations going back and forth, I came down to the studio with everything that I had planned. I literally produced the show. I got in contact with guests. I delivered and yeah like I had I've, I've interviewed like so many people um from Femi um, Otedola to Yakubu Dogora and you know so many other people who are just doing amazing things I've been able to do that and how long time. was was the show running for uh the show ran for about six months oh that's amazing and I can imagine that was such an, um, an amazing experience to have and to be able to network with so many people and build those relationships with them. Yeah, I mean, um, when you get to listen to other people's stories, it's so inspiring. And I'm sure you can 100% relate to this as well. Like hearing other people's stories just makes you want to do more and aspire to more. So I think being able to sit down and, and interview certain people, you kind of, your, your horizons will they, they widen in a sense because you think, wow, like it's, it's actually possible to be this. So I think, yeah, it's just, it's really inspirational to, to be in that type of position. Yeah. Um, another thing as well, which I'm just kind of noting about you and the stories you're telling me is that you were in the right rooms for these opportunities to come um, and for you to be able to manifest these opportunities as well as being prepared and being ready. What's some advice that you would give to somebody else that's wanting to do similar things or maybe different things but it just doesn't know how to connect to the right people um because you know i feel like networking is not for everybody and it can be a little bit scary like we mentioned but it's about overcoming that but what's something that you would say you actively do in order to find yourself in these right rooms with the right people um something that i actively do i align myself so when i was about like 16 17 i used to do something that was so weird and so quirky but i used to like go on event right at the time and i'll look for events that were literally political or like any event that i felt like would be beneficial i would go to those events speak to the organizers just kind of like start to build my network there and then I just started going to networking events after work. So I'd go to like a networking event, you know, at least two a week I'd go to. And I think that worked for me for a while. And then um, after a while, I started getting invited to these events. I started getting put on the, the panels for these events. Um, so then I think, you know, it, it starts like that. And once again, you know, the grace of God is what will put you in the room. God cannot come down and give you an opportunity himself. Well, he can, but it's just rare that that happens. So yeah. I think, you know, once you're in the room, 
you need to remember that everybody in the room is a human being and you are qualified to be in the room. Do not think that you're going to get that opportunity again. How do you know you're going to, the circumstances are going to be the same? How do you know, you know, you're going to be in the same position to even meet this person again? So I think, you know, as human beings, what we do is we allow the spirit of doubt to consume us. And that is one thing that you should never do. You are able you are capable, you have what it takes, it is within you, and the other person does not have two heads. So believe in yourself, believe in your ability, and you will shine. You will shine. shoot your shot. Yeah, shoot your shot. The worst they can say is no. Yeah. Yeah, and if they say no, some people leave it as no, but if you tell me no, I need to know why. Because as far as I'm concerned, you shouldn't be saying no to me, because for me, like even like when my friends tell me no, I've gone to, I've come to you with a proposition. I never just go to ask people for things where I feel like they cannot do. I have never asked anything, anything of someone where I feel like they cannot do it. I've already ascertained in my mind whether or not this is within your capacity. So when you tell me no, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so what do I need to do to make you say yes? <laughs> how can I change that no? To- how, how can you change that no? You know, loads of people are going to tell you no. Do you run with it or do you put yourself in a position where there's a reason for them not to say no to you so it just kind of depends on how you how you see life and how much you want for yourself definitely and then another thing I wanted to get into as well is just speaking about the people that you're exposed to like you know politics is so male dominated and as a woman in politics I can imagine you've probably come across um resistance you've come across maybe being doubted your abilities being doubted and just kind of being questioned as to, you know, like, you're this young black woman. What are you doing here? Have you experienced that? Or am I just kind of assuming? No, you're not assuming this is every day this happens. Every day this happens. But I'm here and you're going to listen. I'm here and you're going to listen to me. I think for me, it's easier because once again, I'm British born. So where I'm in, you know, more cultural um, rooms, for example, like Nigerian politics style, I let people know I'm British born, but people, young girls who are, for example, in Africa cannot necessarily let people know that they're British born because they're not. But I can kind of play the brazen culture of I'm from the UK. This is the way we do things here. So the fact that you think that I'm going to appreciate some of the cultural imperfections no i will not i will speak against it because where i'm coming from that attitude is not welcomed yeah um, i can imagine like the there's a bit of like sexism as well that that plays a part yeah. and you know like the patriarchy like with politics yeah you've hit the nail right on there there is patriarchy there is sexism and you know it goes as far for me like when i'm going to a political engagement i have a stylist called Becca apparel and she like will discuss the event and she'll be like you can't wear this color it's too bold you can't wear a suit you have to wear a skirt why do i have to wear a skirt because if you don't it's going to come across too um overpowering so you know there's a lot that goes into it whereas men just get to show up in whatever and they're accepted so you know we're still fighting as women to kind of be respected but i think if you're a woman that you know, what you're saying is of, of credibility people will listen to you sometimes you just kind of have to let these men speak and then when they're finished say your point in minimal words and make sure you have your your impact that way yeah like let them feel like they are being heard and then also make sure that your voice is heard as well just as much as they their voice was heard yeah fortunately sometimes we just have to stroke their ego and just let them finish and then you know <laughs> and i've heard that before like and i feel like it works because 
Yeah, it does. It's really bad. And I know that, you know, people are going to come for me and be like, you mm-hmm. should not be doing that. But, you know, based on the cards I've been dealt, sometimes that's just kind of the card that you have to play and it works. So yeah. whether or not it's right, that's debatable. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to fight different struggles? So, f- for instance, um, in British politics, you feel like you fight a different battle in comparison to African politics. Um, for instance, oh, it'd be like your race over here within British politics and then being a woman in African politics. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, for example, I went to the Black Lives Matter protest. Um, you know, I was in the forefront. I was protesting. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. No one called me to tell me you need to calm down. No one called me to tell me, you know, what you're doing is much. Who, who, what, who, who to say what, you know, that doesn't happen. But when the SARS protest started and I was on the forefront of that, it was becoming like, listen, you, you need to calm down. You're doing too much. You know, wow. You need to, so there's a big difference. For like other women as well that, like, and young women that are wanting to go into the political field, like, what's advice that you would give them? Or maybe something you wish you knew before you you entered the, the political realm? There's a lot of learning that you have to do. There's a lot of learning and a lot of unlearning. There's, there's two different sets of, of, of advice that I would give to young people in the UK and young people in Africa. There's 100% two different sets of advice. But there's a lot of learning and unlearning to do. Um, you have to learn to appreciate cultures. You have to learn how to articulate your point. Um, sometimes, you know, being 100% straightforward and being 100% brazen is not the best approach. And, you know, sometimes that's against you as a person because if you're someone who's very straightforward and you're being told that you have to say things in a particular way um, to convey the message better, that's sometimes not what you really want to do. You kind of just want to say this cushion is blue and that's it. But sometimes you have to learn to adapt the way you do things so your message can be better conveyed. So I think yeah. that's one of the lessons that are universal for both people in the UK, young girls in the UK trying to get into politics and young girls in Africa trying to get into politics. Okay. Um, this one may be a bit political, but um, would you say that you have to tone down your blackness in terms of British politics? Or do you feel like you can be your authentic African black self? Um, do, I don't turn down my blackness, you know, um, because I just don't think I have to. I, like, this is the UK. Hey, Chop on the ring ring. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Chop on the ring that. ring. So I don't need to do any of that, to be honest. I've never felt like I've had to. My whole, I've been in positions where I've been advised that it would be better for me if I did it and, you know, better opportunities would come for me if I did it. But, you know, in the UK, I've been able to be truly authentic and kind of just be like, well, this is, I'm from Brixton, you know? So yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not from Mayfair. I'm not from um, the elite sides of the UK. I didn't go to Eden. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I went to a primary school in Brixton. Like, so all my truths and all my growing up is attributed to that. So I can't come and, you know, try and, I can't teach you different. This is what I know. So yeah, no, I know I've been authentically myself and they've accepted me that way. Oh, good. I love that. Um, but do you feel like seeing how, let's say, Diane Abbott, who's a member of the Labour Party, how sometimes she's been treated in the media, like how she's been treated by her own colleagues, do you feel like that's something that maybe deters other 
young women and specifically young black women from wanting to be in politics or and has that ever like crossed your mind as well um yeah has it crossed my mind yes have i been affected by it yes but what you need to remember is diane abbott when she got into politics you know the uk was much more open about racism you know now racism is covert so i think that this generation our generation we have less problems to worry about in comparison to what diane abbott was exposed to i mean she's still being exposed to it now but in comparison to early on in her career people from our generation would not be able to cope um, whereas now i think there's more opportunity and um, i think that you know politics if you're not in the room decided deciding decisions you're going to be affected by the decisions so I think, you know, the idea that we just kind of be social media politicians needs to start becoming eradicated. And, you know, if you're someone who's got a voice and who's got a platform and is passionate, you need to kind of get involved um, in whatever way and whatever capacity to make sure that you're using the right streams that are available to you to get involved in politics and not just be that person who laments over social media, over political issues when they arise. Um, mm. So, yeah. That's interesting that you say that as well. Um, in terms of like social media politics, quote unquote, do you feel like we're a generation who kind of hides behind social media versus being out there in the streets? Like, for instance, like I feel like the generations before us were a little bit more, not necessarily radical. I think the generations before us were more active with it. They, they had more um, energy for it in terms of like doing at the actual protesting whereas like we're kind of a little bit more like oh let's just raise awareness on social media and leave it there all right so there's there's two sides to, to what to what that um what the issue with that is so before in previous generations there was no social media so mm. you could, there was no such thing as social media activism and um, activism so when an issue happens you would go and rally outside your you know your local town hall or or protest within your constituency or whatever, wherever, because you know that was the, that was the medium at the time. Whereas now, social media has come into place. It's more convenient to go outside. Um, on sorry, to go onto social media and become a social media politician. But the problem with social media politician is they they forget that politics is very local. So you need to be able to kind of sit with your local MPs, sit with your members of parliament, sit with your councillors to decide those decisions. Um, social media just raises awareness. So similar to a lot of the issues that were going on in Nigeria, they've been going on in Nigeria for years, years. But social media has now been able to highlight that to the world. And that's what makes it more like, oh my God, this is happening, it's so bad, such an injustice. So if our parents' generation had access to social media at the time, maybe these issues wouldn't have escalated to this extent. But it just all goes back to coming down to social media activism only draws awareness. We need to kind of, okay, now we've drawn awareness to the problem. How do we solve it? We need to be solution-based. So I mm. think that this generation, we're very quick to highlight the problems. Fantastic. At least we know that what the problems are. But we equally need to generate that same energy into being, you know, solution-based and using the same energy that we use to highlight the problems to create solutions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. You're absolutely right. Like, we do an amazing job of raising awareness with the issues and the injustices that we face but not necessarily following through to make sure that the right laws have been passed the right bills have been passed the right changes are taking place as well so moving on just so just thinking about your career a little bit and we spoke about this as well kind of like 
your your networks and how that has helped you do you subscribe to the idea that your your network is your net worth or can you just go with it you know or do you just feel like you know what your network is so important in your net worth and going forward and shaping the future that you want mm. yeah um your network is your network totally believe in that statement i am still maneuvering through life so i think that my my answer to this question is based on where i'm currently at and where i'm currently at is i have my network is very 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 segregated and i've done that intentionally so i have friends for different things i've got life friends i've got friends for partying i've got friends for um, that I'll have godly conversations with. I'll have friends that you know need to remind me of what I'm doing when I lose motivation. So I've very, I've got my friendships are very very segregated, um, and I like it like that. It works for me because I can gain different things from different friendships, um, and you know those friendships have different value to me. So I think, you know, when you're coming from somewhere where I've come from, Brixton, not all your friends are going to be elite. Not all your friends are going to be doing, you know, game-changing things. So I think that the fact that I'm exposed to different friendship groups, that works for me at the moment. That works for me. I agree with that. Um, And you said something as well, which I like, I do. And having friends that, you know, like you're saying, for different things, but specifically friends that you can talk to about business things, about work-related things, but something that I have realized has been so helpful to me is friends that keep me accountable. So like what I call accountability partners. And those are the friends that I call when I'm like, when I'm lacking or I need advice or I need motivation, or I just need to kick up the bum to be like, no man, get your ish together, get it together. This is the game plan. It kind of keeps you accountable and to the things that you said you were going to do. I definitely agree. I think accountability partners are really important. I think mentors are really important as well. Um, I think it's important to have a mentor, a two-year mentor, a five-year mentor, and a life mentor. So I think that's really important. And that's something that I have in my life. And I definitely encourage everyone else to have as well. I think it's fantastic to have people that you're literally accountable to. And yeah, they help. They definitely help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely need a um, a mentor for sure. Um, whether that's like a business or life mentor, like I need one because I recognize that I can only grow so much and it's important to have people that have gone through life um, and know what they're talking about so that you're not having to make the mistakes yourself, but you learn from them um, and they're able to impart knowledge which they've gained over like, whether that's 30, 40 years, however old they are. Um, and yeah you know pass that down that knowledge and their experience and everything else that they've got that they can give down to you I think a life mentor is so important like and a life mentor my life mentor is not in my circle like is not a family friend well I'm just fortunate enough to have that type of life mentor but he has experienced life like he has overtly experienced life and I only check in with him once a year we only because he's so busy so it's like we have check-ins once a year in regards to how how i feel like this year has been where i feel like i'm at maybe the older i get the more the more i I need more regular check-ins but once a year is the check-in that we have and that relationship has been going for five years now so i'm really really thankful to him and he's kind of got so much life experience that he's able to consistently keep me in check from a from a point of view where he's not in my life if he's not in my everyday he's not my everyday person so yeah. when i 
him, I'm telling him about events that have happened across the year and how I've dealt with them, he's able to kind of give me a, a point of view from someone who's not been in my life. So it's it's really good. It's really, really good. Get get a life mentor. Really important. Yeah. So if you can get anything from this episode is get a mentor. Yeah, get mentors are important. Mentors are important. And they shouldn't be people that are your close friends. Oh yeah, no, absolutely not. And I think because your your friends know you in a certain way and yeah, that, that that's I feel like that's a bit of a sticky like situation. Yeah, not people that are your close friends, not people that are in your imminent circle. Um, you're preferably people who are in the positions that you'd like to acquire. So a mentor is someone that you a five year mentor is someone that is where you see yourself in five years. The two year mentor is someone where you see yourself in two years. So vice versa. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah so tell me a bit more about like what other projects that you're working on and like what we can look forward to with you so i work with um damilola's Taylor trust um and that is basically to push um at the moment one initiative that we're running is the hope 2020 campaign which is to you know promote hope um within young people and to highlight stories that are, are bypassed every day i think a lot of the time a lot of the bad news stories get the front page and we don't get to see the stories of young people who are doing absolutely phenomenal things um and that is what the hope 2020 campaign hope to highlight so that is something that it launches on the 7th of december and we you know we've got loads of great people on board rio ferdinand um is one of the key people on board as well so it's absolutely fantastic so there's that going on i also work with an organization called 2020 change and um it's a fantastic organization everyone should go and sign up um it is free for now and it's a six-week program that basically works on you like you literally come out a different person and it is you know backed by loads of different organizations including converse nando's yeah it's just a fantastic program look it up 2020 change absolutely fantastic self-development wise oh that sounds amazing i'm definitely going to look that up um and be sure to put all the information in the show notes as well um to go back to the damalola trust tell, tell us a bit more for anybody who doesn't know like why that trust was started and and how it came about yeah, so Damiola was senselessly murdered at the age of seven, grew up in Peckham, came from Nigeria. Um, his dad was a civil servant in Nigeria, flew him to Nigeria for a better life, as you do. Um, and the young boy had hopes of becoming a doctor, which was obviously cut short because of that senseless killing. And since then, his dad, uh, Mr. Taylor, has, you know, used literally the rest, his, his entire life since that incident to kind of help, you know, initiatives, um, you know help young people stop um, and reduce gun and knife crime within the UK um, you know and that has literally been his what he's been doing since his son has has, has been the murder of his son um, so yes so this would have wow. been and yeah. for anyone that's listening that may be interested in getting involved or helping in any way like is there a way for them to kind of like support the cause and the trust yeah. Yeah, so just follow Hope 2020, follow the campaign, follow their socials, um, Hope 2020, the Hope Collective, um, on, on all social platforms, and you can find out about it that way. So yeah, that's what I'm working on. Um, and I'm working on a few other projects as well, um, like Nigeria-related, um, foreign affairs-related, that is going to start to unravel soon. So yeah, those, those are things that I'm doing at the moment. 
That sounds great. So speaking of Nigeria, just um, I think it would be wrong to to go and talk about Nigeria without speaking of the recent events and the protests against police brutality, which ended in people losing their lives, unfortunately. Um, what do you think? One, what do you think is the immediate impact and the future impact of all of those events that happened with um, the people that were passed away, unfortunately, after the, the Lekki process and everything else? To be honest, I haven't um, spoken about insults in, that I've been asked to do interviews and stuff like that, and I've denied them because it's too personal. So this is definitely the first time I'm going to speak about it. Because Nigeria's problem really frustrates me, simply because you have a government that calls itself a democracy, but does not give way to any democratic rights that abuses its power, that goes against their fundamental human rights every single day. And I think, like, one thing that people who are outside of Nigeria and in the diaspora, I think they're failing to understand is that these people were not protesting for the basic necessities that a country needs to sustain, i.e. light, education, healthcare, roads. They said, please stop killing us. And you felt that them exercising their fundamental right, which is right to life, asking for that was too much, is what Nigeria's government has done. And I think for several years, Nigeria's government has been oppressive. And I think now young people are starting to realise that if they don't take regular steps, if they don't educate themselves, then Nigeria will never change. And I think that Nigeria has had this culture for many years, which I don't know if I can say it's right or wrong, because I'm still trying to ask myself a few more questions to understand whether or not it's right or wrong. But there's this ethos of the blame game. And um, I like to call it the blame game because, you know, citizens will say it's, it's the government's fault that our country is bad. It's all based on the government. But there's a certain amount of accountability that I'm seeing now that I haven't seen in the youth in Nigeria. And I think it's beautiful that they are now holding each other to account. And they are now saying, you know what, this government has done bad enough. You know, the governments before have done bad enough. So now we're at a point where we need to take charge for our own selves, for our own lives, and, you know, create change. I think we're in a beautiful, beautiful point in history now, and I'm just praying that this momentum stays the same, and we as Nigerians in the diaspora continue to support Nigerians in Nigeria in any way that we can, rather than the, the current divide that there is between Nigerians in Nigeria and Nigerians in the diaspora. I think, mm. you know, and we've seen a beautiful sense of togetherness and I just pray and hope that that togetherness continues and you know the youth in Nigeria do not get tired um, because it can get hard in a country where your government is consistently oppressing you and you literally just have to mask all your pain and laughter and just continue as normal which is which is what is currently going on people have had to go back to work go back to their normal lives as normal without even dealing with any of what has happened and um, because they don't have a choice. So I just have a hope that, you know, over the next few years that we can hopefully see a Nigeria that is more progressive, a Nigeria that, you know, each Nigerian is actually valued and their lives are valued. So that, that's my hope for it. And I'll continue to do what I can to ensure that that happens through, you know, working politically with Nigeria and trying to help impact and educate Nigerians as a whole yeah well thank you for um for that um i know like it can just get super emotional just thinking about 
not only the people that lost their lives during the NSARS process, but I'm sure the, the people that they were fighting for that initially led to the actual protest. So I do hope that there is a change and not just in Nigeria, but just all over Africa, particularly with police brutality, because that is something that we, so many other countries battle with. And I think Nigeria was one of the first countries to, not just one of the first countries, but was very vocal and really made a stand against it and didn't just let it continue on, but actually decided to speak up and fight it. So it's absolutely commendable and I hope that just change really does come. Um, Okay, so switching gears just a little bit, we're going to do a quick little game um, before we end the podcast. Yeah, are you ready? Okay. (laughs) Usually... Usually I don't tell my guests we're going to do it, just kind of like, you know. Okay, let's do this. So what's something you wish you knew about politics before getting into it? What's something I wish I knew? That you can't just be open and honest completely, like, because if you're being honest, you're saying that this is yellow, not mustard. So that's literally how politics is. You have to be able to be politically correct all the time. And I think sometimes that just takes away from the actual situations that are going on if you're always trying to be politically correct. That's something that I didn't necessarily know to the extent that I know now. Okay. Um, Advice to your 16-year-old self? Don't compare yourself to anyone. Like, do not question, do not look at someone else's journey and be intimidated or feel like you're not on the right path. Everybody's path is different and you need to focus on being the best that you can every single day. Every single day you need to deliver 100% regardless of the obstacles that you're presented with, every single day you need to give your best. And I think that's what I would have told my 16-year-old self. I love that. Um, What keeps you going? I want to shake bum, let me not lie to you. Everyone sees me as this serious babe, but I need to, I want to enjoy. I really want to shake bum. And I recognise that if I don't get certain things in order, people are just going to think that I'm a joke. So I said, let me just do all this serious stuff now and get everything in order. So when I'm shaking bum, unconditionally, unprovoked in the Maldives, you people should turn your face to the left and be minding your business because I'm allowed, I, I'm, I deserve to shake this bum. So you are that, hilarious. That's what keeps me going. I, I want to be able to shake bum. Um, why are you judging me? Look at my accolades. Don't judge me. I'm just having fun. Speaking so of it. I don't want to yeah, I don't want to suffer. Like, yeah, I don't need type of suffering. I do not like it. And, Speaking you know, mm-hmm. Do you know, I always say this, like one life is for enjoyment. I did not come here to suffer. Like I just want to live life, live life abundantly and enjoy work, but enjoy. Because again, if 2020 has taught us anything is that like life is short, man. Do not be postponing enjoyment. Do not postpone it. Me, as I am now, like, everyone will tell you, I work hard so I can shake bum. Like, anyone that knows me will tell you, I'm doing this now because I want to shake bum later. And I don't believe I can shake bum without working, without putting in the work. So, literally, what keeps me going every day is that I want to shake bum without being judged. Because <laughs> I've done my work. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, if, if you've put in the work, you've, you've got the things going... Like, who's to stop you? Who can say what? Nobody can tell you anything. Okay, so what's the biggest attribute to your success so far? What's the biggest attribute to my success? God. I don't even know why I had to repeat that question. God, 100% God. 100% God. 
Okay, and uh, the final one, what's the vision for the future? What can we look forward to seeing you doing? And Because I already know you're about to be smashing things and just continuing to doing amazing work. And you too, you know, soon, <laughs> soon I'll be begging, I'll be begging to get a slot in on the Juice Money podcast. <laughs> I will be like, please, can you have me back, please? No. Anytime, anytime. This platform is for anybody. So like whenever you're ready to come back, listen, more than happy to have you. Hopefully there won't be a fee. Absolutely not. <laughs> it's, it's 2K for 10 minutes now. I'm going to be like, um, what was your question again? Sorry, I was <laughs> We fully got distracted. Um, what's the vision? What can we look forward to? What can you look forward to? I think with me, I try to be unapologetically real and live in, in, in showing people, you know, that work hard and also reward yourself accordingly for the work that you do. So, you know, I want to continue to be that girl that is you know, the youngest in the room and um, being able to make change, being able to have my voice, make my voice a beneficial voice and make impact to things that are really important to me. So I pray that God continues to give me the ability to do that. But I want to do that and also show people, okay, these are the highs and lows that come with it. You know, these are the 4am, you know, nights reading lonely by yourself. And Here's when I'm, you know, shaking bum in the Maldives. Here is, here is it as well. So I think I want to be able to kind of depict a real, honest and transparent life to people who are coming up to kind of show them that, you know, this adulting thing is not easy. I mean, actually, the this, last question I do have, like, what's the one thing you feel like you've learned from 2020? So, what's the one thing that God loves me? <laughs> God loves me. God loves you. Because how are you still here in a pandemic? Do you know how many people have died? It's no, a pandemic. It's a pandemic. Bro. Like literally, God saved you. Why are you? Why do you think your life is more relevant over another person? I think that's what 2020 has shown me that God, God loves me. One, God's purpose for my life and for your life listening is still very much relevant and still very, very much happening. I think where so much bad has happened in 2020 human beings we've become so ungrateful and we've just focused on the bad but can you actually sit down for a second and just think what good has happened to me this year because i'm sure that you know there has been more than one good thing even if it's that you've remained in your job if you haven't remained in your job but you've still got a roof over your head so i think that we need to kind of go back to the basis and just express gratitude um, and all of us aspire to perspire people that had the whole year planned out from january to december it's great that you had a plan, fantastic, continue to plan, but God's plan is bigger than all of our plans put together and God will come and scatter your plan in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just kind of give everything your absolute best. Every single thing you do, continue to give it your best and watch the grace of God kind of just do its thing over your life, literally. Um, but yeah, anyone that's had a rough year and that is just tired, we're all tired. We've all been tired. 2020 has been hard, but you are still alive and you are still living and you're still able to listen to this podcast. So that means you have light. So you have light <laughs> in your house. That bad. So just find reasons to be grateful. And, uh, yeah, for sure. I think for me as well, like I've just been looking at it like it's just a, an opportunity to do things that I didn't get a chance to do before. So like let's say, okay, last year, my thing was, you know what, I'm just going to start a podcast. This year was, you know what, I'm just going to continue with it and see where it takes me. 
but yeah best for the year and the years to come it's okay like what is something that's been on my heart to do what's something that I've been meaning to do that I haven't had the opportunity to do um so 2020 was okay I've done my podcast what else do I want to do okay I wanted to launch a business I did that okay great now I can kind of like tick that off my list so it's like what is in my heart what else am I passionate about what else is what's the fire in my belly that I need to like continue with and get the experience to do so yeah I think like for me if anything it's just like again like I said the gratitude but also doing the things that that you want to do things that bring you joy bring things that bring you happiness and just enjoying and, and living to your best but just like just doing the things that that bring you joy and like a bit of happiness okay I don't know how that turned into a lecture <laughs> where we've been through so much this year like we're going to tell our kids about it like so literally just remember tomorrow is not promised you don't know when your last day is going to be you actually and that's the scary part so be happy every day find reasons to be happy every single day like make sure your relationships with all your friends with all your family with everyone just make sure that they're all left on good notes and you live life happy with peace of mind so yeah yeah that's it oh peace you see that like that's the most important important thing to me in my life like peace of mind peace and freedom is like a it's a major key for me so okay and then where can we find you yeah so um, you can find me on twitter you can find me on instagram as aminat Soleil um on twitter and aminat Soleil on instagram i mean but yeah okay we can end it on that note Thank you so, so, so much, Amina. Like, I appreciate your time because we've ended up spending way more time than we should have. And I will make sure to link all the information and where you can find her, the information about Dami Lola Trust in the description box. And yeah, that's it. Until the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. This is officially the one year anniversary of the podcast. And I just wanted to say a massive thank you to all the guests I've had on the podcast. Thank you to every single person that has shared the podcast, listened, reviewed, shared your thoughts with me. It goes such a long way. So make sure to please leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you've been enjoying the podcast so far. Follow for automatic updates whenever I upload. And of course, to tell a friend. I will catch you on the next episode.